Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 5.9 of the Fan and Sportsnet 360. And I won't say it's over. And it's not. it won't be over for the 2023-24 season. The Arizona Coyotes are going to play in Arizona at that mullet arena, apparently, next season. But beyond that, who the hell knows? Because the Tempe thing is over. Uh, they voted it down late last night. Let's talk to uh, Sean Gentili of The Athletic. How's it going, Sean? Greetings, fellas. I'm uh, about to leave for a Blink-182 and Turnstile concert this evening. It's much better It's much better than like entering my 15th year of writing about Coyotes relocation drama. Sean, I got to tell you, I saw that show here in Toronto on Thursday, and I saw that show again <laughs> here in Toronto on Monday, although without Turnstile on the Monday one. You're in for uh, a wonderful night of music and nostalgia and uh, mom jokes and things like that. It'll be, it'll be great. It's exactly the levity you need after having to not only have written about the Arizona arena situation, but also have had to explain to brainwashed people on Twitter and in your comments that shocker, what the billionaires are saying is maybe not by letter exactly what's true in terms of, you know, the, the term privately funded being thrown around and things like that. Uh, it'll be some necessary levity for you. I imagine it's been not the best 24 hours or so trying to explain this stuff to people. Uh, I was not expecting my night to go that way last night. No, I was, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I guess silly me for thinking that that was, that the Tempe vote was going to pass and that was going to be the end of it, right? Like I should know better after, you know, being around this in some capacity for for as long as there. What I mean, we've all watched it, right? It just yep. never ends. I was, I was stupid for thinking that the end of the road was last night because it clearly isn't. But yeah, I mean, that's the way it is. You know, people are upset. It's all people in Arizona, and I, I understand they're upset, right? Because there are people that care about that team, and I think it's easy for us to forget that sometimes and they're about to have it yanked out from under them it seems so of course people are going to be mad they're frustrated that you know the outcome wasn't what they're looking for but it doesn't change the reality of the situation which is this is a stadium flash arena deal that was going to pass and it was going to eventually use public funds and those are grifts always and forever they always have been arizona's not special the people in tempe you know, for whatever reason, we're just wise enough to, or or decisive enough to say like, nope, this is it, and voted it down pretty handily. So you you covered this in your article a little bit. I, I also saw you you had retweeted, uh, uh, you know, some economists weighing in on what the actual deal looks like from a, a tax yeah. impact perspective uh, for the city of Tempe. So this is a, a two point one billion dollar projected plan, and they use the term entirely privately funded, even though that includes you know, upwards of 500 million in tax breaks, which I don't know about you, but uh, I don't think those tax breaks come out of private money. That That's mm-hmm. not what privately funded is to me. There's also the element of there are unpaid bills to the city of Glendale still. Um, for, for anyone who hasn't read into the, the fine print or, or isn't exactly sure what we're referring to with, with the grift or, or, you know, it not being privately funded, can you walk us through a little bit of why the city of Tempe would have decided, hey, this isn't for us in, in this uh, structure at least? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the so the economist stuff you brought up, it's uh, it was basically, I mean, and look, we can you can make numbers in, in a lot of respects say whatever you want them to say. I always do. On, 
it's 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 like part of our job, right? We if they if they if they support our conclusion, they go and they go in the post, and if they don't, you know, we just toss them out. It's a little bit different when you're working with economists, though, right? And there's, you know, the, of course the the think tank that kind of rubber stamps all stadium slash arena proposals was all the way on board with it, but they did some bad math, and and so there's two sets of numbers basically that are that are circulating. And one is like, this is going to be a windfall for the community. And the other one is like, yeah, it's going to be a wash at best. Right. But what it boils down to is that the way this was presented was it's a $2.1 billion project soup to nuts where it's like, there's an arena and there's a couple hotels and there's some restaurants, it's like the classic entertainment slash arena district we've seen pop up all over North America over the last, over the last however many years. Right. That's, that's fine. Five hundred million dollars of that of of that was going to get paid back to the owners via by city, state, and federal tax uh, rebates, and then there was another. Um, they're they're going to have to take out about three hundred million dollars in bonds to ready the site, which is currently like a, it's literally a dump. Like yeah. I'm not, not even a figure of speech. Like it's, <laughs> it's literally a dumping ground for like toxic waste chemicals. Nice. And they were going to have to spend. Yeah, right. And they're going to have to spend like 300 schmill on that, right, by taking out these bonds. By taking out these bonds, and the way they were going to get that money back was by jacking up the tax in the entertainment district. So people who were going to, you know, who were going to go attend Coyotes games or whatever, were going to eat at Dave and Buster's or Steak and Shake or whatever or Shake Shack or whatever's going to be over there. And there's going to be a whole other surcharge of of. Uh, they're going to be paying airport prices basically for for food in this entertainment. So the, the billionaires always make their money back. That's the way it goes. It was going to happen for Marulo and people had enough and said, no, thanks. Yeah. They, they smartened up and I love sports and I love pro sports, but yeah, I, I don't think public funds should ever be spent uh, on lining billionaires pockets. It's not exactly a new idea, but uh, good for the people in Tempe, but like bad. Yeah. Bad for the, the, the hockey loving people in Arizona. Yeah, of which there are, like, and I get it, like, not as many as there are here, but, like, I do honestly feel bad for those people. But let's move off of them, right? Because, holy cow, this saga has is, is gone on way too, way too long. I'm shocked, honestly, and, and and all the reporting on this is that it's it's pretty concrete that at least next season they'll play at Mullet again in front of 5,000 people, and you got to figure if everybody sees the writing on the wall that it's going to be the last season there, will there be 5,000? But... Well, are you are you surprised at all, Sean, that they've already come out and basically committed to that next season? Because and, and I know it may feel late in the in the in the proceedings, but yeah, you go back to the Thrashers moving to Winnipeg. That was like mm-hmm. a blink of an eye. That happened before May was out. They could have yep. and still could theoretically move that franchise, but it doesn't seem like they're 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 interested in doing it for next season. Yeah, it could happen logistically, right? We've seen it, but I don't think that's something that the league is all that eager. Uh, to to repeat, and also the situation in Winnipeg was different. You had an ownership group that was chomping at the bit to bring in a team. You had a you had an arena that was day one moving ready. And even though there's good things happening as far as well, I guess good is in the eye of, eye of the beholder here, but there's movement in Atlanta and there's movement and there's some movement in Houston and there's certainly movement in Salt Lake City. It's not quite as like turnkey prepped for launch as uh, as Winnipeg was. So I think that's a kind of a mitigating factor too here. Like I'm not surprised that 
that uh, that announcement came so quickly after the vote was struck down. I think it makes sense for a lot of different reasons, and one of them is to give, you know, whether it's Salt Lake City or Houston or Atlanta or wherever else, you give them another year of runway, whether it's to organize funds or push an arena deal through or whatever, make those more viable options for a season down the line rather than having to cobble together something in the next month or two and then make a decision for August of, or, or October of, um, of 2023. Yeah, or maybe some sucking up to Matt Ishbia or the city of Phoenix or something. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Okay. Dude. It does feel like it's over, Sean, but, like, when will you believe that, that NHL hockey in Arizona is over? Oh. We, I, God, we need something. I don't even want to say we need something signed. We need, like, moving trucks that are packed <laughs> up and, and sent off. Like, I'm not going to believe. And, I look, I, I don't want it to make it sound like I want this to happen. No. Right? Like, I'm, 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 an Ameri- like I'm, I'm an American hockey fan. Like, I love, I love that in a thing. I love non-traditional markets, but it clearly – like at some point you got to call game here. Right. And it feels like, and it feels like we're there absent something crazy from Ishbia, which I mean, I know we, your, your hockey fans are about to hear that name a whole lot mm-hmm. because he seems like he's going to be, you know, the, the great white hope for keeping, uh, for, for keeping hockey in, in the Valley, but good luck with that one, man, because we don't even know that he wants to buy a team <laughs> and the whole thing hinges on him wanting a team and being able to get more renovations done to footprint arena and blah, 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 blah. I guess it's endless. Right. So, yeah. yep. The wheel spins on, man. It's, it's never, it's never going to end. We'll be talking about this again in a year. I guarantee you that. Oh yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. I know there, there's lots of issues with Phoenix and that building and the, yeah, the fact that they did renovations that make it no longer suitable for NHL hockey. Well, there are only 14 years left on the lease though. Yeah. So <laughs> with, with a five-year option oh. to extend. <laughs> <laughs> this is just like you guys are making my stomach hurt just talking about this like good god yeah it's never it's never 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 gonna end no it's not and it's not yeah yeah i i i it makes me sick to my stomach as well it at least i don't think anybody's getting you know the city of quebec i don't think quebec city is getting all hot and bothered over this thing i think they've all resigned themselves to the fact that they were you know they're a nice little um piece of of leverage that gary bettman could play against other uh, other mm-hmm. locations that it's not happening that they have a metropolitan base of, of less than a million people that it's just there's there's too many other markets that are viable for NHL hockey yeah. um, so that being said Sean like one where do you think they end up and two where's the most fun place for them to end up oh man there's a lot of moment for Salt Lake City like that guy the guy uh, Smith who owns his last name is Smith who owns who owns the Jazz he's He's making moves. He's openly being like, "Yeah, let's go." Like, right? Let's like, let's uh, let's get the ball rolling here. Which is wild. That's not something you see from. Look, if there's one thing we've learned for the most part from NHL, whether it's expansion, whether it's uh, whether it's just franchise getting bought and sold, they very it's very rarely something that happens in public. Like we find out. Like, look at look what happened to Ryan Reynolds trying try to buy the Ottawa Senators. Very public, front facing. All of a sudden, that craters. The Pittsburgh Penguins got sold under everybody's nose last year. Mm-hmm. It's very rare to see something happen uh, in the public eye, which is kind of the interesting part of of the Salt Lake City situation. But that does make a ton of sense. It's the, they're the they're the uh, they're like I said I said before. There's no analog for Winnipeg, but if anybody's even remotely close, it's Salt Lake City because that's not a, that's not an ideal arena situation and. 
you know, what, whatever, but they could play hockey in, in Salt Lake, you know, tomorrow if, it, if they wanted to. So that one's really interesting. And Atlanta is always, always, always going to be interesting because if you, people hear this and they shake their head and they, and they, and it's tougher than to believe because of the way stuff ended, you know, the last two times there, but that is not, that is not made up. The possibility that an NHL team at some point, whether it's relocation, whether it's expansion, ends up back in Atlanta is is real. I'm not going to put a percentage on it or anything, but those discussions are legit, and uh, and it and it's certainly not impossible. So that to me, you know, is is the most interesting you know ball that's in play here. You mentioned the Ryan Smith one in Utah, and like just shortly getting to know him a little bit, like like from afar mm-hmm. with the Jazz. It's like you said, he's like, let's go. Um, like that's even what he looks like. Like he looks like a guy who's constantly oh, like throwing up hang loose signs in his like monster <laughs> energy hat and saying, let's I go do. hockey, man. Let's I'd let's like, do it. The Jazz, the Jazz have been like a, a little bit like out of sight, out of mind for me the last couple of years because I don't cover the NBA, so it's like. They do the fire sale. They move Donovan Mitchell and whatever else. I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to think about Utah. That's been the case for the last couple of years. So I'm like, I'm reading up on this dude. I'm seeing he's like 44, 45, and he's like, he's this and that. I'm like, I don't know where, I don't know where this guy came from, but I, I like, I like the cut of his jib. This seems fun. Yeah, he honestly, if you've ever seen the movie Mean Girls, where where the mom is like, I'm not one of those regular moms. I'm a cool mom. That's what he's like, but with billionaires. I'm not one of the bad billionaires. I'm the only billionaire who's not a predatory mortgage lender. Yeah. Uh, I'm a yeah, cool right. billionaire. <laughs> Bad news, like bad news, Ryan. There are no good billionaires. Sorry, dude. Yeah, uh, tough one. Okay, uh, quickly before we let you go, Sean, you did just cover uh, the Vegas Golden Knights beating the Edmonton Oilers, and in your tweet posting the uh, series preview that you, Dom, and Shana did at the Athletic, you said this series is gonna rule. That's the series between Vegas and Dallas, the Western Conference Final. That is just if you compare it to the Eastern Conference Final, like loaded in terms of individual talent. Uh, what are you looking forward to in that one, and do you have a lean in it? Man, I just I love the forwards that are at the that are at the top of that. Jack Eichel is, you know, he's delivering in his first first postseason, right? He's been awesome. Jonathan March so breaks out against Edmonton. We love the Dallas top line with Robertson and Hans and Pavelski. There's a lot of talent there, man. And it's and it's gonna be a lot of fun. It, the fun thing about those about both those teams, honestly, is for all is for all the skill at the top of the lineup, they got a lot of dudes up and down that can score goals. So I think that's kinda why I'm why I'm uh, why I'm most interested in it, but yeah, my my lean is probably stars because they have the goalie. It's Jake Ottinger is better than Aiden Hill. Mm-hmm. Hill started the season as you know the third string goaltender in in Vegas. He's been fine, but I don't know, dude. Over the course of a long series, I'm betting on Jake Ottinger over over, over him. No offense, no offense to Aiden Hill. If if anybody out there's listening, that's just the way it goes. No, I think you're right. I think goaltending is uh, is important when it comes to uh, the National Hockey League. Uh, and I, th- I think uh, oftentimes <laughs> the deciding factor. I mean, uh, Maple Leafs would attest to that. Uh, Sean, uh, thanks for doing this. Appreciate it. Absolutely, fellas. Anytime. There's Sean Gentile of The Athletic. Um, once again, talking about the Arizona Coyotes being on the move. Again, not for next season. They're going to play in front of 5,000 fans um, at a university arena where they're not the prime tenants and you're going to have maybe a soured fan base after all of this that understands that this is, I mean, there could be the other 
end of the spectrum where they're like, hey, this is our last chance to see NHL hockey in our city, maybe. I tend to think it's more like the Oakland A's situation where they're like, what a disaster. Why would we support this thing? And yeah, the, what the Oakland A's are averaging certainly less than 10,000 fans a game there. But it's like, I know that they get 52 people to each game because that's how many players are on the roster. That's right. Uh, for both teams. And then you sprinkle in some umpires and coaches. Yeah. Um, and, and then that's that's about it. I like, like I said, I like that. I don't like this because I would love for this team to actually move to Quebec City, but I like that nobody has any unrealistic expectations about that franchise going to Quebec City, despite the fact they have a, a building that's ready to to welcome them. It's also a lovely city. It's, it's super lovely, and we can bring back the Nordiques, and, you know, that'd be cool. It'd be great. It's not going to happen. And what I'm about to propose next isn't going to happen either, but why the hell... Sh- wouldn't it? And why shouldn't it? Belle Island, Newfoundland gets a, an <laughs> NHL team. Is that what you're going to propose? No, we could just turn Belle Island into like it, it just hockey island and that's it. I've never been and I, I'm sure the people in Belle Island really like hockey. How, what's the population of Belle Island? Like 1,500 at this point, I think. Oh, okay. But I'm what I'm suggesting is not that the island hosts the team. Oh. I'm saying you take the entire island. Uh-huh. And you just turn it into Hockey Island. There are no more people there. You oh, just you t- where do they go? I don't know. St. John's, Paradise <laughs> Cove, where, where, whatever, wherever yeah. you you got to go. Uh, I'm just saying, you turn the entire island into Hockey Island. You have to ferry over to get to the games. But it, so, is your idea uh, stupider or smarter than that? Well, it's smarter than that, but I don't know if it's any more feasible. It's honestly, a low bar. No, uh, yeah. On uh, and listen. And this is not a unique idea either, but it just it it does boggle the mind a little bit that this market could obviously sustain another NHL franchise. And we we've had like some little dalliances, and what was it like a decade ago? We talked about a new stadium, maybe by like Downsview and yada yada yada. Like, but nothing really has has gained traction. And I understand. I understand that there's territorial rights. I'm talking about another NHL franchise in the city of Toronto, by the way. Yes. Like, obviously. So Arizona just moves to Toronto. And now where your idea gets complicated but fun is how do we divvy this all up if you drop a second franchise into the largest hockey market in the world? Which, by the way, one of, I understand territory rights and everything that goes into it. But honestly, the biggest upset in the history of North American sports franchise relocation everything is that L.A. has two teams for everything. New York Mm -hmm. has two teams for everything. Chicago has two teams for for baseball. Um, That Toronto doesn't have a second hockey team. But you're trying to resolve this, Ben. I am. Um, And Okay, so MLSE owns the Toronto Maple Leafs. They own the Toronto Raptors. They own uh, TFC. They own the Toronto Argos. They own Scotiabank Arena. They own a lot of things. The Marlies, the 905 OVO Athletic Center, which was over a billion dollars when it was built as well. And most convoluted for how you're going to divvy this up, uh, they only own three-eighths of Maple Leaf Square, the whole real estate development down there around (laughs) Scotiabank Arena. 37.5%. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) three-eighths. Okay. And Bell owns uh, 37.5% of MLSE. And Rogers Communications owns 37.5% of MLSE. Is are those two companies that like love each other and 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 are buddy buddy? No, they're competitors. And obviously in the corporate world, those are two companies that don't share state secrets. They're actively trying to outdo the other, but they came together 
in the most bizarre partnerships in maybe all of pro sports. They've come together in Olympic consortium partnerships, but it's been a very uneasy weirdo partnership. Would like, like take the complication of removing themselves from MLSC out of the equation. Would though, if you just said, hey, you get an NHL franchise, you get an NHL franchise. Does that sound good? They'd say, 100%. That sounds amazing. Each side gets an NHL franchise. <laughs> Each side, obviously, exclusive broadcast rights to their own right. NHL franchise. Um, however we divvy, divvy it up, they each end up with a, with an AHL team. Um, <laughs> so the part of your plan, and and we're cheating a little bit here because you told me some of it off the air, yeah. that gets very messy is every part of it both teams and the raptors the raptors by the way are the like where do they go in all this that's a a a trickle down conversation but in your plan maple leafs part two just share scotiabank arena with maple leafs part one well we know it's not the easiest thing in the world but we know that yeah two i mean i guess it it's opposite it's at Crypto.com, it's two NBA franchises and an NHL franchise, mm-hmm. but they all play at the same time. So it and stands to reason that you could have two NHL franchises and an NBA franchise playing in the same place. And how it works for crypto is that there's a very clear number one tenant. Mm-hmm. And so the Lakers get what the Lakers want and everything flows from there. Um, it's also, it, it has worked, but the Clippers are moving. They, they've they been trying to, once they got oh, new yeah. ownership, and the th- plan immediately has been, let's get out of here, this, let's do our own thing. This would be a temporary yes. solution as well. Like- a temporary thing. Um, you could manage it. It's If you have both NHL teams and uh, the Raptors there, the schedules are mostly overlapping. It's 123 mm-hmm. home games over about 175 days. Um, it's also the city's premier concert venue. Mm-hmm. It gets tough, but it's doable. Yeah, I just short term. The the only way it would make sense is if all of those corporate entities made money off the deal, right? Like, and I, I everybody and, would have to make and money. Everyone has to take the long view also because initially someone would be on the shorter end mm-hmm. under the consideration that yes, a second franchise has so much long term value, especially if you build it into something that is not like the Clippers to the Lakers or the Mets to the Yankees. If it's something substantial that has some initial success You're and buying- is a real competitor, like so, whoever ends up with the new friend, the Coyotes, mm-hmm. and has to to rebuild from there, has to take a little bit of the short end initially because there is such a long run payoff. You're or, buying a slightly lesser Toronto Maple Leafs for like Ottawa Senators pricing, right? Like for like the Senators are going to get over a billion bucks, like a distress sale that's happening in Arizona. What like you're lucky to, to get that thing off, off your hands for a uh, billion dollars. Maple Leafs are what worth well over two. I would think at oh, this point, dude, like I, I would imagine if you try, I mean, it's impossible to divvy everything up with how much MLSE owns and, and how you strip out the individual things. But if the Leafs alone hit the market, I mean, they'd be the highest priced NHL team mm-hmm. for sure. Um, the Utah Jazz as a benchmark, which which are generally believed to be the lowest value in NBA franchise, so for one point seven billion, dude. It, remember when we thought Steve Ballmer overpaid for when he bought the Clippers for he two paid billion, like eighty five bucks. Yeah, no, it was not, <laughs> it's nothing. So anyway, and that like, was a distress sale too. It's, I, you I, can get some value there. Yeah. If it, if I didn't think it would be the most boring radio on planet Earth, I would have somebody who could actually talk about the the the, the numbers and how it could work out and like some theoretical financial windfall for both entities here because gotta have the corporate uh, entities making more money off this thing. But 
There has to be a way. Like, it's just, if you have another franchise, just factually, there's just more money. The and I understand it. It's so much larger. There's two pies. Yeah. And I get it. Like, there is definitely some cannibalism, but there's there's enough. There's enough. It's cannibalization. Cannibalism is when we eat each other. Cannibalization is when one thing just kind of eats into the other. Yeah. It's based should, on the same should, root word, though. Right. But we should be clear that we're not, we're not advocating for cannibalism. Yeah. Breaking open each other's skulls and eating the yes. goo within. No, that's, that's how you determine who gets on what roster. Cannibalism. Yeah. No, I mean, just like, think about it. More money as a whole into the hockey pile. Mm-hmm. And I get it. You're divvying it up. And whoever, yeah, it would be... Super beneficial to have the legacy brand of the Toronto Maple Leafs, but you, you're not telling me that there's not a whole lot of GTA hockey fans that would love another option here and that the, would like actively root against the the Toronto Maple Leafs. The marketing potential of leaning into the counterculture against the Leafs, and this is what we're going to see the Clippers roll out over the next couple of years. Is and they don't have a title to hang this around like they had planned, but. You know, their branding will be, yeah, the Lakers are Hollywood, but the Clippers are for real Angelinos, right? And, like, yeah. we're in Inglewood, and we do more with Up the community, no and we represent the, the city and what the city actually is more than the Hollywood portion over there. Like, there are endless marketing opportunities. There's, there's no shortage of corporate sponsors in yeah. the city and the country. Um, and then you talk about, like, the, the expanding the pie or increasing the overall revenue, like... It's something, and I know, for whatever reason, even though they're in the business of making money, ostensibly, the NBA or the NHL does not like to maximize its revenues. Yeah. We've seen a bajillion evidences of that. Um, but well, yeah, if the players had they, their say, they're like, absolutely, move it to Toronto tomorrow. Because it's a 50-50 split. Yeah. And the 50 would yeah. be of a much larger <laughs> thing if you did that. Um, it's not going to happen, unfortunately, but... No, it's just so super complicated. And from the the, the brief conversations I've had about bell and rogers um ownership stakes in mlse them being extricated from mlse selling their stakes in general save for like put aside the idea of one of them owning a competing nhl franchise them somehow pulling themselves out of mlse in general is super complicated and whether one would do it without the other like whether there's some like mutually assured destruction contract clause that they've both signed who knows but just to my mind would it not make sense to have a Rogers NHL team and a Bell NHL team? I, I, it does to me. It would. By but the way, um, I back, in, back in 2011 when uh, Bell and Rogers acquired 75% of MLSE, um, the entire outfit, that purchase was based on a valuation of just over $2 billion. That was 12 years ago before all the sales you're talking about. Um, like done that, well that was that investment. two years or three years before the Clippers sale, yeah. well before the Jazz sale and stuff like that. Um, the the ra- I, I know so the all the Forbes valuations stuff like that they're they're not particularly accurate. The math behind them isn't that great. But if you wanted to go by that, they had the Raptors at their last one at three point five billion. Like there is, this is where it gets complicated. Is like you you'd have so much more money to make, but there is. Like, even if you think about, well, say one side wanted out of it, right? Who's got four or five billion sitting around? I don't know. Again, like, these and are, it, con- these it, are it, questions I have no answers to. And if there I don't is pretend an to be to smart it, enough. And that person wants to hang out. And uh, yeah. You, you know, you've, we, you've worked in the real world with, like, spreadsheets and stuff. Like, you can't answer any of these questions. I like, mean, I could if, you, if like, MLSE, which they would never do, were, were like, yeah, here are the books. Well, they are a publicly traded company. Those, those are readily available. We just have to find them. But I don't think MLSC has to, because like it's 37.5% Bell, 37.5% Rogers, which are both publicly traded. But that other 
25% with Kilbred or, or whatever t- Larry Tannenbaum's yeah, um, yeah. holding company operates under. Like, I, I don't, I think you'd have to sit down with a lot of different sets of books and, you know, uncook them. And no, I'm, I'm kidding. But like, there are things like, for example, like, you, I'm sure you have the option of like, what do you report as, you know, TV revenue if yeah. you're the Blue Jays and the media, like the Rogers owns the team. I, I don't know. There are, there would be a million things and I have not used my um, actual education in a long time on top of which, you know, it would be a job for hundreds of accountants, not just me. All right. Do you think Grange is smart enough to like give us an answer to this question? I think he's a smart person. I think that no individual could give you an answer to this question <laughs> unprompted without ample, ample, ample time to prepare. Do you think that would stop me from asking him? No. No. I think what we would be better off asking Grange is uh, should the Raptors have handled the trade deadline differently yeah, so last yeah, night yeah. went a little differently. Can we do both? All right. No. <laughs> we'll talk to Michael Grange next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 59 and the fan at Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan drive time. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Sportsnet 360, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Maybe Lucas Matson can own the the new Toronto. Uh, I wanted that as a, team. so at one point in succession when Kendall was really on the outs with the family and it seemed like he, uh, Logan had just like offered the deal of like take your money and go and then mm-hmm. it ended up not being a real offer. But like I thought a spinoff or like a side story for succession that would have been really good is Kendall like trying to get people like him and buying the Mets. Mm. This was before Steve Cohen actually did that. Yeah. Um, that would have been cool. Yeah. You Maybe should. we'll get a spinoff down the line. We'll see. All right. Let's talk to uh, our pal, Michael Grange. How's it going, Michael? It's going well. It's going well. How are you guys? Uh, good. We're just, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to think uh, well outside my pay grade at, at things that I'm incapable of, of understanding. But yeah, we, I, we were trying to pick apart MLSE and, figuring out a way for one of Bell or Rogers to own a new NHL franchise, that being the Arizona Coyotes who won't be playing in Arizona anymore. And then like having two NHL franchises in the city of Toronto, one owned by Bell, one owned by Rogers. But yeah, that's that MLSE seems uh, very difficult to, to, to separate. Uh, I don't know if you want to weigh in on that because it's obviously very complicated, uh, but you're smarter than me. So maybe, maybe you can do it. (laughs) Um, yeah, it probably is really uh, difficult, but, um, you know, the one thing that I would wonder about is if you're a Bell or Rogers shareholder and you have an asset like MLSE on your books that's um, probably worth more money uh, to someone else than to you, conceivably, or could be, Right. So maybe there is, uh, you know, a, a scenario where um, I think they call them spinoffs, right? As you as you have uh, a smaller part of a bigger company, and and you kind of, uh, you know, you kind of spin it off and let it get appreciated for its own value, independent of the big behemoth that maybe not isn't, you know, isn't directly in the same line of business. 
maybe something like that works. And, mm. um, you know, uh, I know way, way many, many moons ago, there were very powerful people in this, uh, in this city who envisioned, um, you know, a, a single entity owning all of the sports teams. So that would have included the Blue Jays back then. So, and some of those people are still pretty active in the, in uh, that you know they kind of get in the get get things done category <laughs> in uh, in this city. So, um, I would say this: like stranger things have happened, you know. Mm. And um, I, but I would agree, it's kind of it would be uh, there's a lot of little steps that would well not little steps, a lot of big steps would have to happen for something like that to happen. But um, you know, it's one of those things where yeah, it sort of kind of maybe makes sense and. Um, you know, where that would leave the Raptors, I guess, would be a next another question. But anyway. Wow. Uh, once I've heard again, you say similar things on the radio, Ben. Once again, the Raptors are left in the in-between, floating between <laughs> paths. Grange, unbelievable. How much do you think, uh, if Peter Holt put the Spurs on the, uh, on the old seller's market, how much more valuable do you think that team is today with the number one pick uh, coming their way via the NBA draft lottery last night? Oh, a lot, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> I wish I had that. I wish I had some of the stuff on at my fingertips. But, you know, the, when, you know, people have kind of studied things like this, right? Like, what's the impact of Giannis on the value of the Bucks? you know, based on what the franchise was worth and then what it sold for fairly recently. And, um, you know, the LeBron effect in Cleveland. And, you know, it kind of gets people start looking at what, you know, some of these very small handful of, real market movers, what they should actually be paid if there weren't um, a cap on max salaries, you know, and I remember, you know, 10, 15 years ago, like people were saying, Kobe Bryant's be worth $75 million. Well, I, you know, I wonder what that would be worth now in a league where teams are worth four or 5 billion. So, um, yeah, I mean, you, you could, you could probably, it's a small market, but um, you could, what they had a 2000 season ticket hold, See two thousand people bought season tickets yesterday or something. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean you could you somebody somebody as smart as you, Blake, could probably uh, get the spreadsheet out and um, and probably come up with a pretty rough estimate. I mean, I was I just framed it that way to transition us from that topic to talking about the draft lottery. You, you credit to you for having a very thoughtful answer about it. Um, I was just trying to get us mm. on track after uh, Ben, you know, firing up old franchise manager. Mm over here and moving teams around. Um, so the Spurs did win the lottery last night. Uh, Grange, you had a piece up at sportsnet.ca uh, titled Take Note Raptors, the Spurs do situational tanking uh, the right way. Now, I noted earlier to Ben that this was year four out of the playoffs for the Spurs. They had never gone more than one year out of the playoffs uh, prior to this little run, but it pays off. Uh, they've got the number one pick. They'll get Victor Wembanyama, uh, barring a cataclysmic change in the, the draft landscape. Um, you know, walk us through that piece a little bit and what you like about how the Spurs have managed their transition from their, you know, the, the tail end of their big three era to, to what's ahead of them here. Well, I guess my point there is they've kind of done it before Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, going, you know, back in the eighties, they, they, they were a really good team coming out of the ABA. They were a really good team. I think nine out of 10 playoff seasons, um, in the eighties and, you know, kind of, kind of circumstances conspired. They weren't really, uh, good enough to win. They had one horrible season and got David Robinson, right? So pretty lucky. And then of course people kind of maybe don't quite remember, but, 
Um, you know, Greg Popovich, who's everybody's, you know, sainted, uh, you know, person in the league, like he kind of did a dirty, right? Like uh, when David Robinson hurt his back and missed most of the season, uh, Greg Popovich was the general manager, and he thought that would be a good time to fire the then the head coach, take over as head coach, just as they were about to draft David Robinson, or sorry, Tim Duncan. That worked out pretty well for Greg Popovich. Um, and then on and on we go. And, and you're right. I mean, they haven't been that team for now several years, but they, they were content. They were kind of confusing for a few years because they were fine to be a playing team. They showed, gave no signs of wanting to kind of, you know, sort of tank or, or kind of throw up their hands at all. And they kept thought they could, they could spurs their way out of it, but starting really uh, last year around the trade deadline, um, and then definitely this year around the trade deadline, they kind of signaled their direction, and uh, the Raptors were there to help them with their direction. Funny enough, yep. and um, you know, and so last year they kind of they they said, okay, we won't be a playing team. They ended up dra- drafting a pretty good player at nine, uh, Jeremy Shelkan, and then um, you know, and then this year, as we all know, they just went for it, <laughs> and they were they were Victor Wembanyama or bust basically. And it worked out in their favor. And as a result, they're sitting in a great position. I mean, they would be, even if they hadn't won the lottery, they still would have got a great player. They have all kinds of draft assets. They have a lot of good young players. Um, You know, this helps them get the thing that's hardest to get, which is a potential superstar, obviously. Um, But they also have kind of resources around that they can, decide which direction they want to go. They want to kind of build organically. They can, they can do that. They want to try and build fast. They can do that. Um, you know, so it's just been, they just seem really well prepared for whatever's coming down the, the pipe. And, and I think as we've talked about on this show before and is, you know, that's what's you look at the Raptors as a counter example. They don't, that, that moment of clarity hasn't quite seemed to arrive, have arrived. And there's still a belief that they can kind of Raptors their way out of, a pretty mediocre situation they've been in really, if you're being honest for about three years now. And, um, you know, and, and so far the evidence, the jury is out on that. Yeah, it is. Um, it would have been nice to, yeah, sure. It would be nice to have the first overall pick and a seven foot four guy and Victor Webanyama, who might be the best prospect in the history of, no. of pro sports. No, no he that is exactly. He's an, a tremendous prospect, but they were saying that on the broadcast 15 minutes before LeBron James, yeah. who was on the cover of sports illustrated, yeah. like as an embryo mm-hmm. and who has delivered to absolutely every extent. No, it's, it, it's, there's not going to be a prospect more prospecty than LeBron James. And if you go outside of other sports, like, Bryce Harper was on the cover of SI and Legion mm-hmm. of Doom shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that was, yeah. Oh, was Ken Griffey Jr. Yeah. I think Wayne Gretzky Wayne had Gretzky. his fair share. His fair share. Yeah. He seemed to deliver. Connor McDavid yeah, was the, okay. The Legion of Doom pads was Laurinaitis. Bryce Harper was the, the yeah, face paint. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, no, okay. He's, A lot he's, of prospects. I've heard, oh, yeah, now I remember my point. Yeah, anyways, he's going to be good. Uh, that would have been nice to achieve. Getting the first overall selection was unlikely um, for the Raptors this season. And even if they had diverged paths, like the Spurs were in it to tank from the beginning. Hard to get that 14%. But, man, I, I really didn't appreciate you, Grange, pointing out that the Raptors had a worse record when they <laughs> could, consummated the Pirtle trade than the Portland Trailblazers who were picking third. And that could be, I mean, could be Scoot Henderson, could be another very intriguing prospect who could be a franchise changer. I mean, is it un? 
I, I, I understand the point, and it's a, it's well made, Grange. But like, is it, is it unrealistic to to go back in time and not for not the Raptors to trade for Yaka Pearl? They could have easily not consummated that trade, but could they have done as the Blazers did and just waved the white flag at that point in the season? Would that have, could that was that a path that could have even been trod upon? It would have been difficult, right? Clearly, it's doable. Portland did it. Um, you know, they had the advantage of, you know, being able to have a superstar who was had dragged them to that record. Um, you know, kind of being complicit and saying, "Okay, I've got my," you know, at the fifty-eight game mark when he had enough to qualify for the scoring record or the scoring lead. Lead, he, he sat down in uh, in Dame Lillard. Uh, it would have been a harder thing to do here in Toronto with a bunch of pending free agents, guys looking for extensions to just stop playing. And that's really what Portland did. So it's a little bit disingenuous on my part to say, uh, you know, but the fact remains, you know, one team chose to ruthlessly manipulate the draft process and is in a pretty interesting position, uh, regardless of whether they want to use that pick or trade that pick. And another team, uh, you know, decided that uh, the play-in or sort of the, you know, tanking wasn't for them and that they were going to push for the playoffs and there was a lot of value to be had in that scenario. And, you know, the jury, you know, we don't know what kind of value there is to be had out of that scenario because um, at first glance, I think everyone would rather have, you know, the third pick. But, um, you know, that's not what the, that's not the direction they went. Well, maybe the third pick isn't completely out of reach entirely. You mentioned that Portland could potentially look to shop that to get win now help around Damian Lillard in the, you know, as Damian Lillard and enters kind of the, the back years of his prime there. Slightly use Pascal Siakam sitting right there. I'm, I, yes, Pascal Siakam, the money stuff gets difficult at some point, but there is also OG and Anobi has been tied there in the past. Um, Grange, whether it's Portland or another team, because you know, we've also heard Houston could, you know, maybe put that pick on the table if James Harden goes there and they're trying to build around that. Uh, a couple of the other teams later in the lottery might be in win now mode. Um, what do you think the chances are or, or what does the outlook look like for the Raptors, you know, at least testing the waters on what would it cost to get either move up or, or move in entirely for another lottery pick in a draft that, yeah, it's Wemby up top, but there are 15, 16, maybe 17 guys in this draft who would be top 10 prospects most years. Yeah, I think that they're definitely going to be kind of discussing a lot of that stuff. And, um, you know, that, that even before the draft, there had been reasonable expectations that discussions were going to happen around, you know, what do you do with Pascal Siakam? I mean, he kind of ends up always being the person that kind of stands out as someone who could be, uh, you know, someone who could, you know, get get discussed, I guess would be the way to put it. Um, and then now, as you know, for whatever reason, Portland, Portland, who couldn't be more clear uh, when they, you know, at their end of their very disappointing season, you know, the Raptors had a disappointing season, you know, couldn't be more clear that, that, you know, from the ownership to management to Dame Lillard himself, everybody's saying, look, we aren't rebuilding. Um, we're going to try and figure out how to sell, use some of these younger assets to get some better players in here or more veteran players. Um, so Portland landing in that spot is very interesting. Or, as you point out, Houston at number four is very interesting. Uh, Detroit at number five, you know, they're just, they've almost got too many young players now. It's very interesting. Um, Utah, again, with, you know, at number nine is also very interesting. 
Um, so there's a lot of potential movement, I would say. And the Raptors, I think, are positioned, if they want to, to get into a lot, a lot of those discussions. But the question becomes, um, you know, you want to, if, if you're going to do it, I think, I think this draft is interesting. I think it's really interesting for about three or four players. Mm. And, you know, and after that, you're getting a good young player who can help you, right? But if you're looking at, if it's a matter of, trading your all-NBA all or formerly two-time all-BNBA leading scorer, and the return is, let's just say, Scoot Anderson, who's fits you positionally, who, you know, for a long time, you know, he's kind of gone quiet lately, but is a guy who looks, projects to be, you know, one of those guys who could be a 10-time all-star. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty interesting, <laughs> you know, and you have a team in Portland that's seemingly desperate, to you know, as that doesn't happen very often, right? Where a team is just screw it, we're we're nowhere near winning, but we're win now, <laughs> so we're going to start, you know, sending draft picks at the door. I mean, that just that's that hasn't been in fashion in sports for twenty years, mm. but um, you know, so it could be an interesting summer in that respect. Yeah, it's also interesting because there are five head coaching vacancies, three of which. Uh, employ former MVPs and are title contenders, uh, and the Raptors are in there too. And then there's a very young team in the, the Detroit Pistons. How does the fact that there's so many intriguing openings around the NBA impact the Raptors' head coaching search? Yeah, I think that's that's you know definitely a factor. I mean, my understanding is the Raptors are still kind of nowhere clear to nailing anything down. They're still kind of canvassing wide. They're still considering some outside-the-box candidates, even beyond the J.J. Redick category. Um, you, know, you know, and part of that is, like, I don't think they're, I don't think they're in a real rush to hire, um, you know, somebody who's just been fired just because, you know, they've recently been a head coach. Um, not that they're opposed, but, I, I, you know, I think that there's a real carefulness around around you know they're thinking about not just going knee-jerk well monte williams i mean he's very well-known coach he's had some good success as an nba head coach well we got to go get him now um so i think there's part of that that they don't want to overlook some really really good potential candidates by doing what's safe and expected the other part of that though is if you look at the teams that are in the market for head coach right now and you were to rank them as to which would be kind of the most attractive for a Monty Williams, I don't know. Where, where would you rank them, <laughs> right? Like um, just to pick a name or a Mike Budenholzer or something like that. As you point out, you know, three of those openings have MVP players attached to them. None of them are the Raptors. Um, you know, Detroit is a team that's at least got unlimited upside and very little downside if you're coming in as ad coach. So that's kind of interesting. Whereas the Raptors kind of exist in that middle of high expectations, but maybe not a clear path to meeting them. And I think if you're a head coach, you you know that can be a little daunting at times. So, um, you know, so I think from that point of view, I think the Raptors are smart to keep looking broadly uh, because they, it helps them avoid the possibility of you know being everybody's second choice. Yeah, that's smart. That's, that's a good way to put it. Uh, Grange, thanks as always, buddy. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Appreciate it. No, we appreciate it. Did you figure out how much San Antonio is worth yet? No, Did, we're grinding. Mo- more today. <laughs> yeah. More today than yesterday. Uh, Computer smoking? 
Yeah. Um, well, well. Next time we have you on. If the, if the show wanted vague answers. They'd have me on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, know. I mean, like we did have you on. We're literally having you on right now. Yeah. It'd be you. Yeah. So, <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Grange. See you, man. See you uh, tune, in, tune in tomorrow. I'll, I'll give the full valuation of the, the San Antonio Spurs. By the way, Grange saying that the Raptors are looking even more outside-of-the-box candidates than just J.J. Redick, who, of course, isn't all that outside-the-box as a former yeah. player and media member but has no coaching experience. It kind of sounds like Grange was hinting that Grange is in the mix. I thought the same thing. You heard it here first, folks. All right, time now for the last call. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Blue Jays would like to win a game against the Yankees. Hasn't happened in the first two games of this four-game set. Sweeps only. Uh, yeah, it's a bad sign. Uh, Chris Bassett on the mound trying to stop that streak uh, against Garrett Cole, though. And that's why the Yankees are minus 117 favorites. We got game one of the NBA's Eastern Conference Finals. And the Celtics are naturally almost double-digit favorites against the Heat, minus eight and a half. Uh, Stanley Cup. Favorites of the four remaining teams. Conference final starts tomorrow in the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs. Carolina plus 240. Vegas plus 260. Dallas plus 295. And the Florida Panthers, hey, they're underdogs again, plus 320. And that was last call brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Be nice if the Jays won tonight. I Yeah, that would be quite a thing. I'd prefer that conversation for tomorrow's show. Okay. I mean, yeah, the other one's kind of interesting, though, too, if, if they lose again. But, yeah, we'll see. Uh, tune in for that. Uh, this has been the Fan Drive Time. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Sportsnet 360.